Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about whether you should take the lump sum or the annuitized option if you ever win the lottery. And for a more practical version, we talk about that same issue as it relates to pensions. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and partner, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you this week. Ross, it's great to see you as well. Uh, I am sitting here at my home feeling in real time the effects of supply chain issues in this country. My uh, AC went out last week and they said it was a simple fix until they needed to get the part. And I may be here for a couple of weeks in the heat. Oh my gosh. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not excited to watch you go through this, but I'm just happy it's not me where we're talking about disasters in my home because normally I'm the one that's got the problem. Right. You had the raccoons in the attic. I think our, our listeners are at this point very familiar with your home ownership woes. Right. So, I mean, if we're, if we're going to have some more homeownership woes, it might as well at least be on your side of the table every once in a while, right? That's true. And it's very nice that you're not here with me uh, and you just have to watch it through a screen. Well, the, the cool thing, and not that this is going to help uh, what you're going through in your home, but you and I are actually going to spend a couple days in the office together this week, which I think is, uh, is particularly cool. Yeah, it's going to be perhaps both of our first times in an office since... I mean, for me, it was March of 2020 or February. I, I didn't make it to the office in March. Yeah, no, I, I think I had one day in March and that was because we were told it was like optional to come back. And we we came into the office and they were like, why is everybody here? And I was like, well, we thought it was optional. Uh, it turns out it wasn't that optional. And they told us to get out of there. And here we are much, much later, never having returned. Dan, can you believe we've been podcasting for six months? This is episode 27. Wow. We are in our second six-month window as podcasters now. 27 is a is a difficult number in the history for musicians. Hopefully, we make it past the uh, notorious 27. That's true. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not sure that that curse will get us, but uh, who knows? I, I don't want to speak too soon. <laughs> right, knock on wood. So today's topic, I think, is going to wander just a little bit, but I just want to explain to our listeners kind of where this started, because uh, without that context, I think it's going to be weird on on why we get into this. But this was another friend of ours that has a financial planning background, was doing the math on the lottery. This was literally started as the the jackpot payout, I believe on Powerball, was explained. And typically, when you look at a lottery payout, there's two options. There is some form of what they're going to call an annuity, but it is a piece every year over a period of about 30 years, or a lump sum option which is typically a single cash payout at a reduced amount. And they were looking at the math on how the annuitization option works. And what was fascinating about it, and Powerball at the time was $174 million, Dan. So so it was just a, a huge number, right? That's a pretty big Powerball jackpot. And after looking at it, the annuitization option pays out over a period of 30 years with an increase each year. And when you do the math on that, that means that it was about 1.5% 
of the Powerball payout in the first year that you won it. Which, granted, these are going to be crazy numbers because we're talking about starting from a crazy number. But if you won a $175 million jackpot and then you only got 1.5% of that in the first year, that's a payout of $2.6 million. Now, on one hand, $2.6 million puts you well into the 1% in this country. That's an incredible amount of money to make in a single year. But on the other hand, if you feel like you just won $175 million and now you're staring at a payout of $2.6 million, those don't feel the same. And so I think from that point, we launched off into looking at some math. Do, do I have that right, Dan, in terms of your recollection? Yeah, that's that sounds right. So, of course, the next step that any financial planner will take is, well, what happens if I take the lump sum payout? So right off the bat, Ross, you're taking a huge haircut for taxes because you're getting all of that up front and Uncle Sam's got to get his cut of it. Right. And the cash payout in this particular example, because we did do the math here, was $125 million. So they're going to they're going to reduce what they agreed to pay you by 50 million dollars right off the bat. The estimated cash payout was 125,500. Um and so that that's what I did the math on. And then I assumed to look at this an estimated tax rate of 42.75%. Just because I'm in Virginia, I was trying to use Virginia's state income tax rate in addition to the top federal rate, which I thought from that cash payout you'd net in the range of 71 to $72 million as a lump sum payout. Right. And from there, the question is, what can we draw off of that $71 million as income every year? And that's where you go to your trustee retirement distribution schedule. And depending on who you are, that might be... Did you use 4%, Ross? I used 5 Okay. Now, here's... I think this is a little bit of an interesting point. So if you think about how a foundation... Uh, or like a like a charitable foundation typically runs, they amass a pool of money uh, for whatever the cause is, and then typically they have a five percent annual distribution per year. That's different than what we normally talk about because when we're normally talking about the safe withdrawal rate or retirement distributions, you hear four percent, four and a half percent, but that number is really supposed to index for inflation. It was supposed to be four and a half percent as the first year. And then each year after that, you're going to take this slightly increasing amount so that over the course of your lifetime, you don't run through the money at these numbers. And especially if we're talking about somebody that is not currently at retirement age, I think I would use just a flat five percent distribution and I would let it float with the value of the account because you're never going to draw all the way through it if you just take 5% out annually, but that does mean on a year where values decline, the next year you might have a lower draw or a smaller amount of income. Right, absolutely. And and typically when we're doing this math, right, in the 30-year annuity option, at the end of 30 years, they're done paying you. Correct. In this asset-based approach, it's very likely that your portfolio remains intact to some extent at the end of that period. Almost exclusively. And so, so the way I did it, and I, I just for the the purposes of this discussion, I started with seventy one million eight hundred forty eight thousand seven hundred and fifty because I was using an actual formula to come up with the uh, the net of tax number, um, and that I just did that so that I could play with different numbers and, and and plug and chug with some different stuff. I then assumed that that investment account grew at six percent per year, 
Now, I think I was pretty soft on that. If you were doing a 60-40 portfolio, meaning 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and the stocks earned eight and the bonds earned two over long periods of time, your your blended growth rate would be about six and a half percent. So I tried to shoot for a pretty conservative number saying six percent, assuming that it would probably be a little bit above that, but lumpy. And then I said again, an annual distribution of five percent. So starting from a much lower base, right? We're not talking about $175 million, but we're starting from 71.8. But the 5% distribution in that year one is $3.5 million, almost $3.6 million if you're going to take 5% out of that. And I think it's already looking like a more attractive option because in year one, you're excited. You want to spend some money and you go, all right, great. Even if I'm going to be disciplined about this, I get a much higher draw than that one and a half percent, even of the bigger number. The crazy thing is you took all the taxes out up front too. So in year two, you have an asset pool that's basically been entirely taxed minus a little bit of growth at that point. A hundred percent. What's great about this is in the lottery's example of the annuitized payout, you're going to get $175 million paid out over a period of 30 years. In my version of this, again, using very simple math, I assumed 5% annual distributions. And still at the end with a 6% growth rate, you've still got $100 million left. So in, in, in this version of it, you collected somewhere between three and a half and almost $5 million a year for 30 years, and you still have a huge asset left, which brings you out way ahead. And then to the point you just made, Dan, if you're thinking about it from a tax perspective, on that annuitized payout, every dollar that comes out is as income. So you're getting crushed into the highest tax bracket every single year. In this version of it, most of the growth after that initial tax hit is going to be at capital gains rates or hopefully qualified dividend rates. So we should be in a much, much better tax situation if we took the lump sum. Yeah, excuse me. I'm just taking notes for when I invariably win the lottery. (laughs) I I was thinking when we launched into this that people were going to take away that our message here was gotten by lottery tickets, which if you do that, um, you know, don't don't spend a lot of money doing that. You're likely not going to win. Somebody has to. So the odds are the odds are that somebody has to win. Right. But that's that's not our message here. And so I think what we wanted to do with this to slide it from us just having fun with the numbers and, and trying to figure out which would be the right way to take this was to then look at what's a practical application, right? How how can somebody take this very obscure information about winning the lottery and think about it in a way that might actually help them with their financial planning? And that example quickly and immediately goes to, should you consider a lump sum payout or an annuitization payout when you have a pension? Right. And we encounter these pretty often. So, So this is a decision that people face often as they're approaching retirement and you're given the option of taking everything as a lump sum. You see this large number that they'll distribute to you if you'd like it, or they'll guarantee a certain payout every year, which often comes with its own set of choices, depending on how you'd like to receive it and survivor options. And you know, even though there's a lot more nuance that goes into analyzing a pension, the decision-making starts, I think, at a very similar point. So I'd like to go through a few of the things we look at as we're evaluating pension options for a client at a high level. And then hopefully that helps the people out there who who are facing a similar circumstance. So Dan, I guess I want to go through really quickly why I think it's so much easier for us to make this argument. Because when we looked at the math 
on the lottery payout, they're telling you it's 30 years. The certainty that we have and the fact that that's a 30-year payout and we know what it's going to be makes it really, really clean to do that math versus when we're doing it for an annuity or a pension, you're talking about an uncertain time period, which is generally the person's lifetime. And so that life expectancy becomes the wild card number. And that's why this math ends up being so difficult and I think is really painful for people to, to think about on which option they should choose. Right. Because at some sense, you don't want to lose at the game. You don't want to give up money that you could have had if you're projecting the wrong, quote unquote, end date for your plan and know you left money on the table. The same is true with Social Security. Everyone's trying to kind of game the system and make sure they're getting the most out of that program that they can. Exactly. All right, so let's talk about a couple of the considerations. Now, uh, some of them are the same really in both camps. For somebody that is really irresponsible with their money and is, for for lack of a better word, a spendthrift and is going to rip through it, the annuity probably makes sense both on the lottery example and on the annuitization example. If you know that your history with money is that it's going to burn a hole in your pocket, then absolutely don't put yourself in a position where that's at high risk. Now, that's tough to know about yourself. Uh, I think most of us want to believe that we're good with money. But uh, if your history does not say that, then simply to take your own decision making out of it, it might be worth just to take the, the annuitized option. If you have one bad year of spending, you can at least wake up in year two and know that you have income coming in. So you won't go destitute under that plan, even though you, the capacity to make poor decisions exists in either scenario. Correct. All right. So let's talk about the math on a lump sum versus an annuitized option. What are the first things you look at in terms of actually comparing the two? So the process that I go through, normally, the first thing I'll do is look at the actual annuity payout relative to the lump sum option. So, so what are they willing to pay you relative to the asset base that you could get? So you mean on like a percentage basis? So if they were going to say that you're getting $2,000 a month as a pension. So that's $24,000 a year. And if instead of taking that $24,000 a year, they would give you $600,000 of lump sum, you're going to look at that percentage and say, okay, $24,000 as a pension relative to a $600,000 lump sum payout, they're paying me at 4%. Right, and that's very much the similar process that you went through with the um, lottery math. It is uh, looking at it on a percentage basis. However, the big thing, and as, as we've talked about a bunch, if you're going to take a 4% distribution from your assets, what's likely at the end of it is that you've got something left over, right? Using the 4% withdrawal rate, there is an 80% chance historically that you end up with more money at the end of your lifetime than when you started drawing from it. So that leads to me to one of my biggest considerations, which is how important is it for you to leave a legacy? How important is it that we pass this nest egg to whether it's your kids, whether it's your grandkids, whether it's a charity or something that you're passionate about? But that legacy concern or component for me is, I think, one of the top driving factors. So oftentimes when we run scenarios and do Monte Carlo simulations, what I often see of someone who's been a, a pretty decent saver along the way, when we compare the lump sum distribution 
to the annuitization option, the lump sum can frequently have a lower probability of success in your plan only because of the volatility introduced through the stock market. But the top range of positive outcomes is huge. Right? You are expected to finish with a lot more money than you start. It just means you need to accept a little bit of risk along the way. The pension option will often show better results only because you have that guaranteed certain payment coming in every year to meet your needs, but you lose the ability to grow a nest egg. So Ross, like you said, is where do you assign value? Do you like having that comfort of knowing a paycheck is coming every year, even though it means you have a lower asset base to tap and potentially less to leave to your children, to a charity, to me, doesn't matter? Or do you like having the flexibility to grow the thing and by the way, maybe not take money every year if you don't need it and um, you know, have a larger asset base at the end. I think that's so critical. And again, there's not a right or wrong there. It's a cash flow security versus other types of goals sort of question, right? If if cash flow security is most important to you, you should probably take the annuitized option because once you're on your own and you've got a floating pool of assets, while we still think that we can generate consistent cash flow and draw, it's not as simple as just flipping a switch, right? You're not just collecting paychecks. If that kind of piece of it is really important to you. Now, to throw a wrench into this, there's two things that could happen that would allow you to do really flip the script on either of these. Number one is if you start taking an annuitized pension, and you choose to take some of that cash flow and buy life insurance with it, you immediately can create that legacy that we're talking about that might be lost if you didn't have the lump sum option available to you. So if, if you take some portion of that annuitized payout and you use it to buy some life insurance, now that requires that you've got insurability, right? So you can't be in poor health to do that. Um, but as long as we can commit to recreating that legacy in another way, that's a possibility. The other thing you could do if you took a lump sum option is that you could buy an annuity with a portion of it. So if you're looking at it going, well, I'd like some guaranteed cash flow, but I don't necessarily need all of it. Maybe I want to split the difference. You could do something like a single premium annuity and kind of pair those two strategies together. And I think of those as both kind of the flip side of the same example. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing when we're thinking through these types of examples. But again, it depends on your insurability and it depends on some of these other factors. You can get ahead of the life insurance decision if you know that's a, a problem you're gonna face. So if you think that's the route you're gonna go, buying permanent insurance earlier will certainly be easier because entering into a permanent life insurance contract at retirement age can be a lot costlier than people think. On the annuity side of things, it's actually the opposite. The older you are, the better the payouts are because the actuaries figure when you're going to kick it and they can pay you more along the way. So, uh, you know, if, if partway through your managing of your assets, you decide it's time for a fixed income stream, you might be able to get very attractive um, quotes from, from an annuity company. I mean, ultimately, Dan, what I think what you and I do as planners is the same process, which is that we try and model it, right? Let's look at it both ways. What does your life look like with a flat uh, a flat payout? If you take that lump sum, we can look at how the income is going to need to come out of there. 
if you take the annuitized option, we can look at options on what you do with that cash flow, and we can look at it from that very secure lens. And so like most things that you and I talk about on this show, I think it ultimately comes down to balance, balancing what you're looking for as the individual, and then balancing what those risks are. Oh, by the way, one of the big risks on the annuity options right now is the inflation rate everybody's talking about. And again, you and I are not doomsdayers in this sense. I don't think it's going to go raging. But certainly, if you're a person that thinks inflation is a high level of concern, the annuitized options are pretty scary right now because you're going to be losing purchasing power much faster if we face a high inflation environment. And those annuitized and kind of locked in payouts aren't necessarily going to keep up. Right. They get you from two ends of the spectrum. First, they have an implied interest rate within the contract that you're not necessarily seeing, but they need to price these things somehow. And with rates low, that's that's what they're factoring in. And then it's often a fixed payout. If you take a payout with an inflation adjustment, that your benefit goes down pretty dramatically. And every year you're going to lose purchasing power. And a decade from now, you know, you won't be wanting to to buy a gallon of milk with your annuity from today. So Dan, if you win the lottery, are you taking the lump sum? I'm taking the lump sum. I do think, I mean, in the unlikely event that anybody's listening to this does actually win a lottery, there's a couple of things that I would say, and I'm including this last because I think that this is silly and and, uh, not the meat of our show. Number one, like literally physical security. If you're holding a winning lottery ticket, I would line to a bank that's got safety deposit boxes. I would not leave that in my home and don't tell anybody locally or that you know that you've got that in your hand until you've done some very severe steps to kind of start to protect yourself, right? Because people get robbed over a lot less than $75 million. That would be step one is like literally your physical security. Step two is put your team together. I think the three key components to your team of advisors has to be a financial planner of some sort, a CPA or tax professional, and an estate planner. Because if you're not in a position where you've already got trust set up and all sorts of things that are going to help you manage that sort of wealth, you really want to do that before you cash in the ticket. And so if you don't have a team of professionals that you already rely on, that's really step one. And then from there, hopefully, they can help you structure a plan that's going to make sense for your goals, what you're hoping to do. Uh, And my final note is don't go buy a bunch of houses. Ross, if you won the lottery, what would be your one splurge purchase? So I I keep shifting this and and I I know I'm hammering the, the drum on the don't go buy a bunch of houses thing. But in my mind, when I used to go through this exercise or this daydream, really, it's not a not an intellectual exercise. It's just a fantasy. But it used to be, well, I'm going to get a house in all of these places that I like to spend time, which for me, as a skier, it would be a mountain home. It would be some somewhere to go that's like warm. I would I would keep a place here locally so I could come see family, right? Like in my mind, that was what I would do is I would just like establish these little nests. And now I'm like, that's so dumb. I don't want to pay taxes and pay for all the upkeep on this empty home. I think I would look for some like really high quality rentals and things that I could do long term with that same strategy. I would want to be able to go somewhere warm anytime I want to. I would want to be able to go somewhere cold anytime I want to. Um, and and travel in style when I do it, but I wouldn't go out and buy a whole bunch of property. I, I think that's so. I'm I'm more so in the camp of I know what I wouldn't do versus what I would go out and splurge on. Which um, I don't know. I, I mean, 
maybe like a private jet or something to take your friends somewhere and, and, and treat friends and family to, to like a really fun vacation. That, that would be really cool to me because it's an experience that you can include everybody in. Um, but certainly the cat's out of the bag. If you do that, it's, you're not going to be able to keep it a secret if, if you start doing uh, very uncharacteristic stuff. So, so renting a jet is like a couple hundred grand. I think I remember them saying that a ticket to space on, on one of these new companies is, is, a quarter million dollars and that's basically what people are spending on private jets if they're if they're renting them that sounds high to me for a jet unless you're talking about a really expensive one but you're right i've, I've never actually priced it um but i would assume if you're doing one of the like a net jets or you know one, one of these like shared charter flights sort of things where the inf- infrastructure is there um i would guess in the tens of thousands to do a really exciting destination may- maybe not in the hundreds I think I lack a lot of creativity because I am having trouble coming up with how I would spend a million dollars, let alone tens of millions of dollars. So if anyone has ideas, I think I would find it easier than I wish I did. Uh, I, I I would have to work on being disciplined. But again, I like I think my my vision of where people get in trouble is the really big ticket items and then they, they slack on the upkeep cost. So I, I think I could keep it pretty reasonable. I don't think I would go out and buy a bunch of supercars like that to me doesn't seem fun. A bunch of cars that I have to drive at the speed limit or something like that. That just seems silly. But again, that's that's my personal value system. If you have any creative ideas for how you would spend $70 million, I'd certainly love to know. Please shoot us an email at checkyourbalances at outlook.com. I know the person we always chit chatted about this with is a listener. Uh, So Raph, if you're listening, let us know what you have your eyes on. We'd love to hear it. And if you are a fan of the podcast, we love hearing from you as well. If you have any questions about personal financial planning or investments, we have really cool mugs that we are sending out. Uh, maybe we'll send one to the person with the most creative way to spend their money. Absolutely. You know, I, I look forward to getting these mugs out to people. And we made stickers, Dan. And the stickers were a very silly thing. But we do have stickers uh, that say, get your money up, which came from a cameo that one of my friends bought me for my birthday. And it was just like the greatest thing ever. So it's a get your money up sticker that will be with the mugs that we send to people. I can't wait to get my hands on those. Dan, always great to see you. For all of you out there, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.